Welcome, everyone, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built. And we are a member of the 1012 Podcast Network. You can find all the great coverage of the Big 12 over at 1012network.com. I'd also like to remind you, this podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. They are a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. They want you to be the best-dressed fan all year long. So be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. With more than 30 schools to choose from, they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs, and you can get 15% off any non-sale item by using the code 101215 at checkout. That's T-E-N-1215 at checkout. Shop today over at charliehustle.com. Charlie Hustle, vintage, made fresh. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm my host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who loves some long balls. Kyle, Kyle Carpenter, Kyle, are you? I live for the dingers. What can I say? It's diamond season. Uh, home runs, long balls, walk-offs. Uh, oh my. Um, no, this is, uh, we're squarely in diamond season, Gerald. It's 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 a great time of year. The diamond dillion is upon us so uh we are recording this tuesday afternoon before the midweek texas baseball game so we will not have that for you but we will have texas opening up the dish with a series win. the ladies continue to cut a swath through the nation will down the 40 with all the basketball and other sport news coming up and we'll obviously close the show out with some bol godzilla tron and bang the drum, but we start with the diamond horn specifically on one side of the street and then we'll pop to the other. But Texas, number 16 baseball, gets a series win over San Diego to open the 50th season at the dish. They won the Friday game, they lost in extras on Saturday, and then had a big bat day for uh, on Sunday to clinch the series with a 9 to 4 win. Had a grand salami in that one, if memory serves correct. But Texas, again, came out and looked good. I think uh, there are obviously some early season uh, things to shake off, but I think overall, you can't be mad with win of. Can't be mad about winning two of three to open the year. Yeah, they win a series. You would have liked to see a series sweep versus a series win. Um, compare it to last year when they lost seven of their first eleven. They do look a little bit ahead of that. But this is a this is a young team where they're bleeding in some some new starters. Um, you know, pitching still needs to settle a little bit. But all in all, a good weekend, right? We're going to talk about the softball team. Who, you know, if we're talking diamonds here to keep this analogy really uh, beat it over the head, they are sparkling. This is a diamond needs just a little bit of polish, right? A little bit of love uh, a little bit of shining uh to get it where it's at and i i trust pierce is is tinkering uh as we go um some good things right there was multiple pitchers who came in and, and got them out of jams right you like to see uh some pressure uh pitchers who can who can do that um jalen flores you know basically with a game-winning grand slam putting it into the new yeti yards which was very cool um but you know seeing guys like Jared Thomas, Jalen Flores, Peyton Powell, people who we said had to take that step up for this team to be where they need to be. Um, great, right? Some of the freshmen struggled a little bit or first-time starters struggled a little bit, but those guys who were coming into year two of being contributors and, and uh, starters in the most part, uh, you see that step up, right? And so that that to me is where I'm, I'm choosing to uh, be heartened, I, I think. Um, LBJ was, was – Good as advertised, it wasn't his fault that the lead was lost and gained after him, or he would have got a victory with a you know a very solid starting outing. I think there's still another level uh, for him as well. Um, Tanner Witt is probably the bigger story. Uh, he didn't pitch until Sunday and only really went one inning, so it, it 
still coming back. Those injuries are weird with how quickly you, you come back and, and are yourself and, you know, it's different for every person and, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see. And I think have to have some patience as he continues to work through some stuff. Yeah, I think patience is absolutely the right thing. And again, it wasn't a bad outing by any stretch. Maybe Saturday was a bad outing by uh, the imagination. But really for uh, this was what you want to see from your opening series, right? You obviously want a sweep, but you know your pitchers got to get some of the early season jitters out. The bats were hot and pretty lively all weekend, which is something that I think um, we've seen in years past wasn't always the case. It took the Texas offense a while to get going. So the fact that they were able to have have the bats hot like they were, uh, especially on Sunday, but really throughout the weekend itself. I mean, they scored 20 runs in their first three games, so that's a uh, really good outing for them. So again, uh, Texas being able to do what they do. Peyton Powell had a great weekend. Jared Thomas had a great weekend. Jalen Flores um, had a game-winning grand slam, right? Like, there's a lot to be excited about, and I think uh, overall, again, you want to get the sweep in this opener, but Texas acquitted itself well, and I think they've got an absolute... Uh, um, they've got a squad that I think can compete with essentially anybody in the country at this point. And I'll just say this. I really like from Pierce. Uh, Jared Thomas was an interesting kind of leadoff hitter because I really think of him as a two or even really three-hole hitter um, the way he plays. But he's been opening for them, and, and it paid off. He hit uh, 545 with two doubles and seven runs scored, um, which is, you know, tremendous right when you talk about all those runs scored you like your your leadoff man getting on and finding ways to get him in Peyton Powell in the two hole who again I think Powell is probably another three hole hitter uh, ideally the way he hits um but could be a good two hit 462 with a triple a homer and seven runs driven in on the weekend that's your one and two spots which if your hottest bats are the guys who are seeing the most at bats then I kind of like the way Pierce is is going after that right Jalen Flores uh, had the grand slam to show for his efforts they'll, they'll probably tinker a bit with the lineup some of those young guys we'll see uh, where Max and, and Gasparino are towards the end of the season as they you know find their their rhythm and their their consistency but um, you know uh, I like it. I like what he's doing there. Um, and then the last note, I'll go, I'll have two notes. The last note uh, related to the team I'll give is Jaden Duplantier um, is fast, is yeah. real fast. Uh, I loved, uh, they, they tweeted out the clip of him beating out a, uh, legging out a two out uh, infield single that, that really kind of was the turning point in that, that Sunday game. Um, and, and use the super troopers uh, meme of, of, uh, that guy's that guy's a freak. He's the fastest kid alive, um, which is which is which is funny and and kind of true. Um, we've known him for many years as one of the Duplantier family members and uh, and the one with the best uh, social media handle. That's Gumbo Salad. Um, but now we're we're finding out that. You can't teach speed, and he's also a good base runner. I like what he did on the actual bases. It wasn't just speed to get there. Um, he's going to be a threat all year. He's going to find ways to p- play in pretty much every game, whether he's pinch hitting, pitch running, uh, starting, you know, finding a, a position that works for him, DHing, whatever it is. He's going to find ways because you can't teach speed and good base running, which Texas lacked a little bit this weekend. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that he's going to have a, a, a part to play both to plenty as well this season. Hard to be mad about a guy who can find ways to manufacture offense on the base path, right? Especially in a league like the Big 12 where, you know, every every game is going to be a slugfest. And we say, this, we say this about every sport, but the Big 12 is probably one of, if not the best baseball conferences, at, at least at the top end, uh, out there. But Texas, in front of 20 
2,802 fans for the three-game series, the largest attendance for the opening weekend in program history to get their 50th opener and a win on the weekend. Again, we're recording this Tuesday afternoon, a couple hours before they take on Houston Christian this evening, so uh, they may have a bit uh, of an update for that, but you'll get to see Lance Berkman if you're out there. Uh, And then Texas will have Cal Poly over the weekend. Softball, the number two slash three team in the land gets two massive wins before the rest of the weekend is canceled due to weather with a two to one win over number two Tennessee and a nine to two win over number nine Stanford moving up to number two in the polls this week for their efforts yeah I mean it it, there was some talk of if they would have finished out their week playing as hot as they were and got a win over number 18 Kentucky um, number 22 Northwestern a good North Carolina team and and the way they were playing there was no reason to think they wouldn't have um, that they could finally, you know, make OU nervous. Uh, as hot as they were, as, as many ranked wins as they have, the way that they've, you know, outscored their opponents, I think it's, um, I think it's something like seventy to, to eight or something like that. It's I'd ridiculous. Have, yeah, I, I I had the stat somewhere. I can't find it, but um, just they they have been on a tear um, with again four of those first seven against uh, ranked top ten opponents. Like that's they're they had a, as good a start as you could ask for. Um, Tennessee, they probably should have been three to zero. There's some umpiring things there that were wonky, but they played through that, right? That this this is what we talked about. This was a team full of freshmen with you know as much upside as as you could possibly have. Now they they're sophomores who uh, and, and others, right? And there's some some more experienced players as well, um, and some freshmen, uh, but with with a little bit more experience in that floor is raised, right? They can battle through and get a two one victory when they had a a you know. Two calls go go against them. That one of them robbed them of a, a run, and the other one gave the other team a run. Right when you're playing the number two team in the country, um, that they can battle through that and get the victory. Like if they have mental toughness as well as the bats have been maybe better than expected, and the pitching has been at least where it was expected, if not also better than where where it was expected. Right, freshman coming in and just uh, really inserting herself into a great rotation already. They they just they're they're pretty strong, and, and this team is surprisingly deep they're deep everywhere they have uh multiple players who can who can you know give you give you hits give you home runs give you production the defense looks solid um the pitching looks great where they have different arms who they can use in different situations like they, they built some depth into this team and again as is that floor rises we know that ceiling is sky high but um this if it was not for OU being OU and and the name that they have and the reputation and well earned honestly De- deserved reputation correct for sure. that they have Texas would be the number one team in the country right now and and you know I saw a couple cheeky voters uh talking about it just to to provoke some thought because you know when is OU not number one in softball um but uh but you know in, until OU loses probably they will be num- number one but man you can only imagine that softball's been getting good numbers good attendance good tv OU Texas when they play if they're they're still both undefeated somehow and and playing this well and one and two I mean that that might set some all-time regular season softball records um, because everyone in the country wants to see these two teams play it's funny to watch OU fans kind of giving they, they, they always give Texas softball a little bit of guff because, again, they're at the top of the mountain. But everything I've seen from OU softball Twitter, which is a, a very ravenous Twitter, um, is pretty like this Texas team is legit. Now, maybe they're softening up in case they get a, a you know an accidental loss to this <laughs> Texas team. But there seems to be some, some real respect and reverence from that side uh, of the fence. So uh, that tells you something. But, yeah, it's still a long season, still a long time to go. They started a little bit slow last year and then got it going. This year they came out of the gate. I like the latter as long as you can sustain it. So a long season 
there's going to be hurdles. There's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. Um, but you know, it's always better to start the season with four top ten wins in your first seven games. Look, there's there's not a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of things to to pick at here. This is uh, the only thing I'm upset and frustrated with is I really really was looking forward to two more games uh, or three more games uh, to watch when when it got rained out. You can paint a pretty picnic, but you can't predict the weather, Kyle. No, um, the freshman contributions feel like found money at this point. Mm-hmm. Like Texas didn't need them to be as good as they are, and they just are. Um, and again, that's not. A bad thing. You're never mad about um, when your young players have to play. But next up for Texas, they've got Houston Christian on Wednesday night, and then they'll have the Lone Star Invitational over the weekend, hosting number 23, Louisiana, Colorado State on Friday and Saturday, and then Stanford will get a a shot at revenge on uh, Saturday evening as well. But Texas, 7-0 on the season, setting themselves up for uh, another incredible run and a wild Big 12 year. But that brings us to the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. Men's basketball goes one and one with an embarrassing loss to Houston and then a much needed win against Kansas State. Not much to say about that Houston uh, game except I'm not sure how Texas uh, got them to overtime in uh, Austin. Uh, that was ugly, but we'll move on from that. Kansas state, uh, 62 to 56 win got a little chippy, got a little heated, uh, but Texas never really trailed in that one, uh, and felt in control for the majority of it, even if it was, uh, and I'm just going to go and say this one of the ugliest games of basketball I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it it was neither team wanted to to win that for stretches. And, and it's funny, you said they, they were almost never trailing. They were tied once at 4-4. That was the only tie of the game. And otherwise, Texas led uh, every minute of, of this basketball game after that. Um, but at the end, it did get a little bit close because Texas missed some free throws, um, you know, tried to make some how did they get uh u of h to overtime well they didn't make the winning plays at the end of the game that could have won it in regulation um but they they had a couple you know turnovers late that is this gonna and luckily you know they made some defensive stops uh made some free throws eventually and and put it away um but there was a play in this where uh it was a, a scary play where where our guy the we need a nickname for him the um the like human pogo stick, uh, Shendra Weaver. Um, he, he was on a fast break, and it was seemed very clear that a guy was going for a hard foul. Whether he was attempting a WWE move or not, um, it was pretty decisive and and ugly, and and about as you know bad as it gets. And two things from that that stuck out to me: one, Weaver bounced right back up. Kid is tough as nails. He he's our most aggressive player who attacks the rim, both literally, um, you know, uh, when he jumps and hits his head on it. Uh, and also when he's driving to the hole. Um, but you know, he, he, he jumped right back up, which is good. It was exciting to see, but the thing that made me most, maybe gave me the most hope for the rest of the season was the bench. The other players on the team had to be physically restrained and great job by the strength and conditioning coach and the rest of the coaching staff, keeping it from turning into a, an all out brawl. As we saw, I think the, uh, what was it? The incarnate word, uh, Texas A&M commerce game spill into after the handshake line. Um, if you haven't seen that, Google it, uh, it's pretty awful, but, uh, you know, Texas didn't throw fists, but man, you could see that fire where they stood up for their team and that, there's something to that, right? Something to that that fight. Um, you got my guy. You know, we're not letting that go. Um, even later in the game when Tyrese Hunter kind of, uh, as it was about 
sealed out kind of went to you know say a little bit to the kansas state bench i like dylan Dessou oh. stepping up as the senior leader and grabbing him and saying nope back to our bench like we let's just win this game the only thing they can do is is try to get us you know uh, to do something stupid at this point where you just go win this game like i, I appreciate it at multiple points both the fire and the restraint like if you can if you find that right balance of those things that fire in your belly that you know chip on your shoulder that playing for each other but also be smart about it because they have a lot of experience on this team let's use that then I think you know this is a team that if you you look at the the numbers is playing well right now right I, I didn't believe this I had to double check it myself but Bart Tovix uh, he, he does a you know one month efficiency uh, number Texas is number 15 in the country the past month and remember they've played like seven ranked teams out of eight <laughs> games during that stretch right that's that's the fact that they're the number 15 uh, in his metric right now for the last month um, and the fact that they're climbing into the 20s and the the metrics that that matter and Ken Palm, Torvik Net, um, they're playing some good basketball. You, that Houston game is an anomaly. Throw it out. Like, it, it was bad. It was yeah. ugly. It was terrible. You learn as much from that as you did from, you know, Texas just pantsing West Virginia, right? Those two cancel each other out. Um, and look at the other games. The, 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 you know, the other ranked games where Texas has uh, either been able to put them away or fought to the very end. And you see the shapings of a tournament team starting to start up. I'm not getting too optimistic. I'm not thinking this is a Final Four or Elite Eight team, though I'd love to be surprised. But you see a little something shaping up there. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that I think has an opportunity to make a run. Like, if the season ended today, they'd be like a nine seed, which is not terrible, but it's not, you know, the best that they've obviously ever had. But I think there's an opportunity uh, for Texas if they can play well. We've seen the highs. The highs are, are better than a lot of teams in the country, but part of that high is Max Asmus, who becomes the 12th player in NCAA history to cross 3,000 career points, one of just three players all time to have 3,000 points and 500 assists, which is just nuts up next for texas on saturday they're going to lawrence kansas to take on the kansas jayhawks so uh that'll be interesting to see uh, texas has owned kansas uh as of late as far as especially uh in kansas but we'll see how that plays itself out uh this weekend if it trend follows uh, again texas uh over the last five has lost one loss or one lost one lost one, so you know the up and down is is what it is. But uh, Texas has Kansas on Saturday. That should be fun. On to the ladies. Number five women's basketball beats Houston and Iowa State for Vic Schaefer's four hundred. 400th career win, and they are one game back from first place in the Big 12 after. Um, we wrote off a lot of the high hopes for this season uh, after the early season injuries. And lo and behold, Texas and Vic Schaefer has got it going. Uh, and they've got a very winnable schedule uh, ahead of them to uh, put themselves atop the conference. Yeah, it's only fair if we leave it like this. We didn't talk about U of H beating the men's side in Houston. We won't talk too much about UT equally shellacking U of H's women's team. But that was Vic's 400th win. But Vic also got his 100th win at Texas in the next game against Iowa State, both uh, 20 plus point victories. Um, Texas is just, they've, they've got the formula right now, this Texas women's team of how to, to, how to strangle a defense though. 66 and 60 are just unacceptable. We got to keep those numbers 59 or lower, um, but how to strangle a team, keep them around 60 points or lower. Um, and then how to go, you know, turn that into to offense on the other end. Um, they, they really have a, a good formula, a good thing that I feel pretty confident they can they can uh, play their brand of basketball at home or on the road um, to see out this season and, and, you know, 
I'll quickly run through the Iowa State game. They they took a 10-point lead in the halftime, poured it on the fourth quarter to pull away, which is a lot of what we've seen here lately. And again, stop me if you've heard this before, Texas held Iowa State to one of their worst shooting nights uh, You know, on the season when they held them to under 30% in the fourth quarter. They just put the clamps on when they need to, um, and they went themselves and shot 65%, which uh, those are good things to do. Um, but playing good defense, being efficient on offense, thats it's very simple, but it's Vic basketball and it works. Um, this one was the Shea and, and Maddie show um, and Maddie 18 and 10 double-double with 10 assists um, was good enough, that plus her, her U of H performance to get her named not just the Big 12 player uh, freshman of the week, but the Big 12 player of the week and and uh when looking back on it they she became the third freshman to sweep both of those awards uh, former Longhorn Celeste Taylor did it in 2020 Brittany Griner did it in 2010 so Vic for his trouble again 400th career win 100th win at Texas Shea Gonzalez Maddie Booker led Texas in that with 18 uh piece just absolutely incredible outing for them so like we said on the top Texas has four games left that will decide the conference title they are one game back from the Sooner. So Texas has Texas Tech on Wednesday, who's in the midst of a five-game losing streak. UCF last in the conference. And then they get OU, which is going to be the presumptive battle for the number one in the conference. Texas uh, gets a big assist from West Virginia, who uh, actually beat OU in Norman on Saturday. Um, OU has some more teams that are toward the top half of the conference, but then Texas gets BYU uh, next Saturday. So again, if Texas wins out or beats OU, and wins, you know, two of the other three, there's a strong possibility that they will win and claim the conference championship. Gerald, I'll just say win out. Like, don't don't leave anything yeah. to chance. I don't, you know, Oklahoma State would love to spoil OU's season, you know, uh, in, in uh, basketball as well. But let's just leave no doubt. Uh, it's a very, very winnable uh, slate. You get Tech at home. You get BYU at home. You go to, again, your your road game here is UCF. And then it's almost like the Red River shootout, right? The, the fact that Texas and OU are competing for conference championships makes it my heart sing for joy, and not because of the OU factor, but just for the anti-Big uh, 12 factor here. Um, I like that we're the two teams at the end who are fighting for it, but obviously I'd like it to be Texas at least as a share, but let's win the thing outright. Um Texas hasn't lost since they lost in Austin to uh, OU when Vic had his rant and galvanized the team. Let's see how it pays off uh, in this final stretch here. Next week will be that OU game. So two games they need to win. Can't look ahead uh, this week. And then, again, close it out the final week with two more wins. And everything will, will play uh, play out the way it's supposed to. Awesome. Quickly closing it out. Number three, men's tennis falls in the opener of the ITA National Indoors, but closes out with a pair of sweeps. Sweeps. They lost to Arizona on Friday, uh, thanks to an upset in the singles. Uh, just didn't work out for them. Saturday, they beat number thirteen Michigan four nothing, and then Sunday they close it out with a five nil win over South Carolina, who's number four in the country. Next up for them, St. John's on Wednesday, February twenty eighth. So they've got uh, about a week from now, and that'll be their last non conference matchup. They'll have TCU, then another non-conference matchup, and then they'll fully jump into conference. On the ladies' side, number 10, right after their showing in the ITA Nationals a week ago, they knocked off number 12, Auburn, 4 to one in that one to uh, set up a big weekend matchup against number 2, Stanford, which is going to be super fun. And their last game, their last match before starting conference against OU in a couple of weeks. 
Yeah, I would have would have loved uh, both to to win the ITA indoors, but again, both showed strong uh, men and women in kind of similar scenarios, losing and then and then uh, sweeping or, or statement wins on their way out. Uh, with the remaining matches, um, the women have already showed that that momentum carries over with that win over number twelve Auburn. So big one at, at Stanford this week for the for the women um, if they can. If they can do that, then basically losing to the national championship in Oklahoma or the national champion in Oklahoma State um, shows they're one of the probably five best teams in the country if they can get the Stanford team. But uh, it'll be a really good test and a really good measuring stick, uh, as Gerald said, as they head into the rest of the conference. And men, uh, everything to play for this year still uh, would like to see them just, just finish a little. They know they're the best and most talented team in the country. They just need to put it together. All right, Gerald, let's take a look at the uh, world. There's some burnt orange lenses. The first thing that came out right before we were recording this, I believe, was the new college football playoff rule. Um, the five plus seven, I think, is is what they're calling it, uh, was announced. The, um, the rule basically is similar to what we expected, but... Um, some of the seeding things are a little bit interesting. Did you did you uh, read into this at all? Yeah, I like how Notre Dame gets screwed every year. That's probably my favorite <laughs> part about it. Yeah, I mean, like some of the scenarios are interesting, right? Like um, this year, you know, Arizona would have, I think, got a buy was the by the um, mm-hmm. the way it looks, right? So there's some interesting things about uh, how it was. It was unanimously voted. Um, I think. What that means is they they didn't want uh, the Big Twelve didn't want to admit some lack of relevance. Um, what I think will happen is after a year, maybe two years of the new system, Big Ten and SEC will flex a little bit and say we're just going to rank these in order with the twelve best teams, one through twelve. Um, that's going to make some people mad, or maybe I don't I, I don't know I don't know what will happen, but there is an implication there um, as Texas heads into the SEC right now. It still favors conference championships as we really move post-conference era, right? It's a Big Ten SEC world now. That's where 20 of the best teams in the country will live. There might be one or two outside of that, but it's it's really less likely. So um, this will change. This will be updated. It was an interesting announcement, though. Again, Texas heading to the SEC with a gauntlet where you, you know, presume Georgia, Alabama, Texas, and then whoever else, right? There's going to be a good one because Missouri going to continue to take the step up is, you know, uh, not worried about the Aggies. Um, but, you know, uh, in a couple of years, you could have uh, Florida is is back or, you know, they, there could be any old Miss next year for sure. There could be any number of these teams. And it's kind of, again, the, the age old, like, why go to the SEC? Well, you get the SEC bias because you're playing good teams. Good teams get <clears> rewarded <throat> for playing good teams. Uh, Texas, it would be it would be ridiculous if Texas moves to the SEC and doesn't get any credit for it. Right. Uh, is punished by a, a system that isn't isn't crediting that. So I think there will be some tweaks to this, but uh, just something to watch. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it uh, it makes sense for 12, obviously, right? Getting like with 12 conference champions have to get in. And, and especially after, you know, what happened with Florida State this year, regardless of what happens in two or three years, right? Um, when you go to 12, you're going to have to have a conference champions. I, I'm still like the best part about the, the 12 team is getting um, games on campuses for schools. Like, I think that's obviously the best thing, at least in my mind, uh, around it. So I'm pretty excited to see it again. 12 is, is probably... I've always, I'm, I'm 12 might be too many, but whatever. It's fine. Uh, I'm excited. It'll be fun. 
Um, Gerald, this was my favorite uh, news of the week, and I actually meant to lead with with this one um, because I think it's important. And I think it it is worth uh, slowing down for a moment and just focusing on this one. So let's pretend that we're starting burnt orange lenses now. Um, uh, but the uh, the news of the week to me is this is a name that I was not familiar with until I saw this news story, and I kind of. I feel badly myself about that, that I they didn't know this, but it's, it shows a, a need for, for information and, and um, sharing these stories and, and celebrating uh, for, for Texas. And so um, hopefully if you're listening to this, you're, you're saying, of course I knew that. And, and if you're like me learning it for the first time, tell someone else. Um, but Raytha Swindell was uh, announced to be inducted into the Texas Black Sports Hall of Fame. She was not someone I was familiar with, but she was the first African-American woman to play UT varsity basketball in 1975. What I didn't realize is she was the first black woman in any sport for the University of Texas. That's pretty amazing. And again, it's a, it's sad to me that I didn't even know her name. Yeah, I mean, it, it is one of those things where um, I've really been impressed with the way Texas as of late has been um, taking moments to honor these athletes and these, these figures in the past, especially now. Um, so yeah, it, it, she... Uh, all-time leading rebounder in program history, like eighth on the scoring list. Uh, first player to be named to the USA Basketball National Team. Played professionally, was a coach at Baytown, right? Like, she's not just a Texas, le- like, a University of Texas legend. She is a state of Texas mm-hmm. legend, and I think it's awesome that she's finally getting this recognition. Um, and her, her again, this is one of those names that should be more well-known, yeah. uh, but isn't. And so I'm really, again, the way that this the program and, and the way the athletic department has been in, not not just you know pe- people of color and black people, but like just all of these legends of um, the University of Texas that need to be recognized and should be household names. I'm I'm impressed with the way that they've been handling it as of late. Part of the fabric and legacy of our incredible women's basketball program, uh, especially in the '70s, '80s, uh, and then now under Vic, where they're at. Like there's a there's a story there, and you can't tell it without Raytha Swindell. So incredibly well um, deserved. Uh, Gerald, one of the events that I always keep an eye on in the, in the professional golf world is the uh, the Genesis Invitational, and, and if for nothing else, then it has the largest payout uh, of the season, $4 million this year. And uh, the reason we're putting it here in the Longhorn section is uh, Jordan Spieth was disqualified from the Genesis Invitational for signing an incorrect scorecard. Golf is so crazy and ridiculous. Um that that's still a thing um but i guess you know like baseball has unwritten rules and golf has and football uh, you know doesn't use some kind of system more uh sophisticated than uh a guy carrying a chain um to 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 measure things sticks yeah yeah orange sticks um somehow golf also you know has these antiquated things where it wasn't intentional but you know he signed a card that had written a a three instead of a four i think it was um and so he was dq'd for maybe uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars when the, the main payout is for uh, four million. Scotty Scheffler finished uh, top ten in that one, and then our guy Bo Bo Hostler was was uh, was tied for tenth heading into the last day. And Bo just can't put it together on Sunday. He can't finish when he he plays well in the first three days of tournaments. I'm still looking for our guy Bo, uh, Texas Cowboy, Texas Longhorn, uh, amateur legend to get uh, to get it going on a Sunday in uh, in the tournament and get some of those big dollars. He still finished tied for twenty fourth. Nothing to shake a stick at. 
We don't always cover recruiting in other uh, sports, but we had a big one this week. I, I threw it in here, number 11 tennis recruit in this year's class, uh, Ashton Bowers from Georgia. Decommitted from Auburn uh, and headed home to Texas. I don't know, uh, no relation to Brock Bowers, but uh, coming from Georgia to uh, Texas, uh, skipping Auburn, seems like, seems like a very smart business decision. Gerald, is anyone better at flipping than Texas? Uh, not that I can think of, um, you know, I always get weird with, with tennis scholarships and administration based upon, uh, why Texas has the current tennis women's tennis coach that it does, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but no, I think it's awesome. Um, they are, uh, you know, whether it's flipping portal kids, whether it's flipping, um, player siblings, like Texas, just flipping them all, flipping them like pancakes, keeping the talent pipeline going. Yeah. in all sports and all things, uh, people want to come to Texas. She's from Georgia and it's making the right call. Come to Texas. Gerald, let's take it home with our closing segments here. A little bit of Godzilla Tron. What are you watching on your giant screen? Yeah. So, um, I am continuing the March through, uh, my audiobook, Caliban's war. Again, it is, um, these are like the, the sci-fi equivalent of like the epic fantasy books, the, the George R. R. Martin stuff. Um, but it's about space politics and stuff like that. Um, and space monsters rather than, uh, human monsters with swords and axes. It's super good. I'm enjoying it. Uh, not quite as good as the first one, but I really appreciate it. Um, we watched Disney's Hercules over the weekend in some downtime, some chill time. Holds up so, so well for like 89, 90% of it. Uh, Go the Distance continues to be an unrecognized and underappreciated banger. Um, And then on Apple Plus, if you're uh, an Apple Plus person, uh, they just released. So they have the license to all of the Peanuts stuff. And so they released um, a short film. It was like 45 minutes, maybe uh, called Welcome Home, Franklin. If you don't know, Franklin is the black guy, the black kid from um, Peanuts. And most famously, Franklin, uh, every year around Thanksgiving, the meme of uh, Franklin being the only one having to sit on that side of the table comes out and it's funny and everybody makes jokes. But it's, it's, it's a thing within the Peanuts uh, universe. And so they, they put out this Welcome Home, Franklin film. Uh, film about him and his time and his uh, journey and why he moved to uh, the town and all of that. And I have to say it was really freaking good. Um, My kids really loved it. I really loved it. My wife really loved it. Um, They got to like roll in some like cultural things and some cultural conversations. He talked about how, um, you know, the character, like they built out the character's lore and he got to sit on the same side of the table as everybody. And that almost made me cry. Um, Almost. I said almost didn't quite almost did cry, but it was really, really uh, quite good. We enjoyed it again. It was like 45 minutes of fun little thing. And uh, they're throwing some like black history moments in there as well. So uh, I really enjoyed it. Where was that on Joe? Uh, Apple TV Plus. Okay. All right. I'll have to check that out. So I, I watched Gerald uh, the end of, of Fargo season four, which I talked about already, um, but kind of at the... It was a, it was the worst season I would say probably uh, of the series. I think it goes two, one, three, four for me. Um, I, I will take a little break here before I give season five, which recently just wrapped up in real time, uh, a shot just to you know just to, just let it breathe for a minute. Um, it wasn't bad. It was not a bad season. It was just a 
overpacked season with too many things and it sagged in the middle heavily. Um, the best part of it, I won't spoil it, but it was a callback to season two at the very, very end post opening or closing credits rather. Um, it was a, you know, it was a fine show of TV. It's a seven, seven and a half, maybe even eight at, at times. Um, they had a, a cool like Wizard of Oz homage episode um, when they were in Kansas. Um, there's uh, some really cool filmmaking and some cool storytelling stuff that was done. It just felt... I don't know. There were some some highs that were higher, certainly, in this show. So uh, if you took my recommendation and started Fargo 4 and you get to the middle and it's sagging, just see it out. It's worth it. Um, you know, to it's it's a. I thought the finale was a pretty good close. I thought the, you know, the last few episodes were, were redeemed a lot of that season. Um, it starts pretty good, finishes well, middle is, is tough. So either uh, don't start it if that sounds like the, the ride you don't want, or if you're in it, uh, finish it out. Um, you know, just wanted to, to give folks that completion uh, of where that's at. And then finally, uh, I, I've been playing a, a new game, Gerald, on on the Xbox, Mafia 3. It's not a new game, it's an old game, a new game to me. Um, but the not, Mafia franchise, you usually think of like New York uh, Mafia. This is actually set in a, a fictionalized uh, Louisiana, mainly New Orleans, called New Bordeaux. Uh, go figure this one resonates with me but it's about a um a black soldier coming home from uh vietnam who uh, was like special forces mr everything crazy guy you know uh didn't really want to come back and uh, was still fighting a little bit of the uh the shock of what he saw over there and then comes home to basically have his family life ripped apart and and launches a personal vendetta against the new orleans mafia which if you don't know there's a there is a a documented and strong presence uh, of the New York then to New Orleans mafia in real life. So um, an interesting uh, game. It's Grand Theft Auto style, but set in like a New Orleans setting. So, you know, it's made basically for me, right? That is my all-time favorite style of game and and probably uh, setting as Red Dead Redemption 2 uh, proved to me. So um, I'm loving it so far. I'm not too, too far into it, but it's been a fun hang when I have a little bit of time. Uh, I have to soak up that time while I still have it for the next few months. Enjoy it while it lasts. That brings us to the last segment of part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Uh, there was a, a show uh, called Silicon Valley that, that uh, I think you've watched, but I certainly make jokes often with a friend of the show doesn't listen, Mario, um, about the, uh, the what, what one of the characters calls the three comma club, right? He gets three commas in his net worth when he becomes a billionaire. Um, in in Sark, well, not uh, Steve Sarkeesian, well, not in the three uh, commas club quite yet, um, did get into the eight figures club, um, which is wild. Uh, his new contract uh, came out right amidst uh, speculation and possible, uh, you know, flirtation from Alabama post Nick Saban. Um, with Saban retiring, he becomes the only the third coach uh, active uh, with a 10 million, right? Eight figure, 10 million plus uh, salary uh, joining, or fourth, excuse me, joining uh, Ryan Day, Kirby Smart, and Dabo Swinney. And I think rightfully so, right? There's been some backlash. Um, I, I think Sark was absolutely paid, but um, I think he earned it, right? There, he was in the 30s last year as he made the college football playoffs, right? And for the University of Texas, who just doesn't usually uh, get, you know, the, the benefit of getting bargains, right? That's not that people know Texas has money. Uh, and it's the reason our coordinators are the top paid. And it's like, you, you don't come to Texas as a, as a bargain. You don't usually get that opportunity if you're Texas. Um, so, you know, it's fair to say he, we had him on a bargain. And now he is one of the highest paid coaches in the world. And 
Um, based on last season, that's where he should be. Now it's on Sark as he navigates the SEC and, and continues to stock the pipeline and, and build everything up to prove that he, in fact, uh, is worth it. But I, I just wanted to say, I think he was rightfully paid. I think this was the correct decision from the university to lock him up long-term. People have compared it to Jimbo, but it's still not as guaranteed. At the end of this contract, he still won't make as much guaranteed as Jimbo Fisher does that year in um, not coaching for four years. So um, it was the right thing to do. It was based on success. Uh, you know, it, it, it was well earned by Sark. He's building uh, a culture. There was, you know, this locks in that there's no chance that he wants to go um, elsewhere. Um, the, 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 the details of it were, were kind of interesting as well, right? I, I appreciate the flex of negotiating uh, personal, non-school-related uh, uh, hours of the of the private jet. Um, that's just good good agenting. Um, there, uh, um, you know, he's, he's, he's well-paid. He gets uh, a lot of things thrown in uh, cars which I'm sure are, are nice ones and jets and um, bonuses and so he's going to be well paid and, and well motivated I think to um, to continue to push Texas to this echelon where they belong to be right we've wanted so long for Texas to be back and I'm not saying everything is perfect because we didn't win a national championship there's still work to do but we basically got to be in that conversation at the end of the, the four-team uh, playoff era. We finally got back where we rightfully belong. Not to be missed in, in that as well. Jeff Banks, Kyle Flood, and Pete Kwiatkowski also received extensions because I do think continuity is a big part of the culture that Sark is building. People are going to want to come, and he said it. Uh, every one of our coaches got to call this offseason to go elsewhere, and that's a good sign. Um, but if you can retain that core of head coach, coordinators, and key uh, folks on the staff and, uh, you know, in this portal era and, and the era of change, that does nothing uh, but help you bring success. We said it on Twitter, but, like, Texas got Sark at a discount. Texas had to take a coach at a discount at the point they were at. They had to prove that Texas was a serious place. Um, and Sark had to prove that he could make it out of blue blood. And now they both get to live that blue blood lifestyle where Texas gets a coach that um, brought them home a conference championship and took them to the national championship tournament. And Sark gets paid like he <laughs> coaches out of blue blood. And I think it all worked out really well for them. So I'm making the drum this week on um, NIL. There, there's all sorts of conversations. College football's changing and coaches are fleeing the game and blah, 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 whatever, whatever. It's fine. It is what it is. If you really knew the nuance of most of these situations, like Chip Kelly hates recruiting. That's why he left. That's why he went to be a coordinator, not anything NIL related, right? Plus, he's probably going to get fired. It is what it is. But um, NIL has so many of the opinions on NIL are built on the outliers and not necessarily um, the things that matter. This week we saw uh, Texas players use their name, image, and likeness to go and raise money and awareness about multiple charities in the Austin area. And that's really the kind of stuff that NIL is all about. Like, yes, the players are getting some kickback for that, and they probably should, especially at the University of Texas, one of the richest and most lucrative athletic departments in the country. But their ability to go out and raise funds for charities in the local area that they believe in, or even if they don't believe in, but other people do and can pay them to be there is what NIL is all about. And so I'm so excited to see this, that these guys get a little bit of chunk of change in their pocket. These nonprofits in the Austin area get to use these notable faces, some of the most notable faces in town, and both of them get to see value for what they bring. And so I'm, I'm there's so many naysayers and doom, doom criers uh, about the state of college football. And I've said that there are some things I don't love about the current state of college football. 
But when NIL is done right, it's stuff like this, and I really love to see it. Good NIL is is good. Um, I still think we missed more chances to name more things after Bijan. The mustard was great, but um, should have been more. Watching him hang out with uh, with LeBron at All Star Weekend was was. Uh, made my heart uh, warm um we have some some guys who are looking to go to that next level and uh, we'll get other cool endorsement deals but nil for college athletes is uh in this purest sense it's just wholesome it's great and that's all we've got for you this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. Follow me on Twitter at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. We'll be back soon with some awesome special episodes. But until then, hook them. Hook them. Rank softball number one, you cowards. <laughs>